after last night, uh, Franz Nielsen is now tied with Bernier for points. Yep. <laughs> yep. I just I wanted to make sure I read it right. I wanted to give it time to digest, and then I wanted to lead off with a "What the hell?" Yeah, he's been a bad. Oh God! Well, I mean, but isn't that kind I of think, indicative of his team? What's up? What'd you say, Jay? I said, yeah, that's that's pretty much like the underscore of our team right there. You can just flash that stat, and you'll understand the 2019 Red Wings. Yeah, it's not fun. It's, they're just they're very very tough to watch. They really are. So much so that I just don't watch them. <laughs> to make it even better, he's not the only one tied with Bernier. Really? In fact, until last night. Adam Ernie had zero points, not just zero goals. <laughs> oh, this is one of those teams. Oh, God. It, it's a bad. It's just all a bad. It's just, yeah, it's 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 very, very tough to watch them. I will agree with you on that. Remember when I said they're going to make the playoffs? <laughs> yeah, dumbass. That was great. That was real good. <laughs> oh, no. Jacob De La Rose, who was traded after 16 games, hasn't hasn't been even a thought in Detroiter's mind in in months now. Uh, four points. That's just bad. Forget about him. <laughs> just with Detroit, four points. So that that's how bad the rest of them are doing. That former fourth liner, De La Rose, is doubling people up. So hot. And it's got me feeling like the stats. What you're saying is you don't want to be miserable at the draft. The salt. Can I ask you a question about your prediction? Why? The sanity. As a broadcaster, it's taboo to do. You don't really want to answer a question with a question, but I'm going to. Why not? And every so often, they talk about sports, too. Here is Eric Dorsch, Russ Ivanek, and Justin Marcus. This is Armchair Sports Talk. A little bit of downtown blues. A little blues. All right, you heard the intro, you know who we are. Uh, let's get right into this one. Last week, cut short. Uh, not really going to pick up where we left off, but want to try to get everything in this time. I've got a clock in front of me now, guys. I am not going to let us uh, miss anything. So, getting it started. I want to lead off with something today that, listen, he was the clear-cut choice. He, you know, he had the year, he played great. Uh, Ross, something sits with me a little weird. I just feel like maybe there should have been a little bit more of a closer vote for the Heisman this year between Joe Burrows and a couple other guys. I mean, is he was he the clear cut for you? There was no second, you know, second guessing it. Well, be, because of the way Heisman voting goes, no, I didn't think there was a second thought. Um, Joe Burrow since two thousand, most passing touchdowns, most passing yards, highest completion percentage in SEC history. Uh, that's okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did um, something. Chase Young, yeah, Chase Young didn't have a chance because he's a defensive player, and apparently that's against the rules. <laughs> um, well, so is hi- so is hiring an agent in the middle of the year, but that's uh, for something else. That's that's something completely different. That gets filed under tattoos. And we just look <laughs> the other way. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and then I mean, Fields for his spec. Hey, I just pointed out Chase Young, right? So you're not going to get both of them. They kind of cannibalize each other. Mm-hmm. So. Jalen Hurts, 
as his competition? Is is that where you see it coming in? Uh, that's where I actually do see. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, Chase Young, great year. He would have been the only, uh, you know, outside chance if they had if they had said Chase Young the other night. It would have been the only time where I think I would have gone. Okay, I get I get it. I'm okay with that. I see where you're yep. going. He was that much better than a lot of other people that, you know, there's only been, I believe, three or two defensive players to ever win the Heisman. Obviously, mm-hmm. last one being Charles Woodson. But mm-hmm. So that just shows you how long it's been. Charles Woodson did it in the mid-'90s. So it's been that long since we've seen someone do it. To to that point, and I think that is the, the knock against def- defensive players. You have to not only be the best player in the country on defense, you got to do something else. I mean... He was a punt. Uh, Charles Rogers, or not, no, Charles Woodson. Thank you. Was a punt <laughs> returner. He did a couple snaps on offense. He did so much more that they basically said, "Listen, the guy played everywhere. We kind of have to give it to him." Uh, which obviously Chase Young didn't do. So yeah, Jalen Hurts to me was the only one. And it, it, I think for me it was just that fact of he transfers from this powerhouse team. And out of nowhere, you realize all the things that you kind of questioned if he could or could not do, he did with ease. I mean, this is a stretch comparison, guys, but I'm going to make it anyway. He kind of was like Lamar Jackson this year. He was their best runner. He was obviously an amazing passer. He's got a lot of talent around him. But this guy did things that even Baker and Kyler weren't necessarily, you know, able to do. Baker and Kyler were more known to drop back and just chuck it everywhere. Jalen didn't do that as much, but still did it quite a bit. On top of the fact that he also ran all over everyone, took this team and has them in the playoff, uh, especially with a suspect defense. So I just think if you're going to say the Heisman goes to the the best single player, I think there had to have been more of a case for Jalen Hurts, more of a case than the fact that Joe Burrows won by over two, almost 2,000 points. In the way of voting, uh-huh. it wasn't close. I mean, that's uh, like whose line? Points are made up. Oh, I know, but if you add up the first, if you add up the first place <laughs> points, all of them got the other three don't even get within eight hundred points of him. If you add them yeah, all no, up together, Joe, it's that. Joe far had eight hundred. He had eight hundred and forty-one first-round votes, and, and the next highest was Chase Young, who had twenty. No, it was Justin Fields with 20. Chase Young got the lowest amount of first-place points. He got six, according to my page. Uh, Again, you and I could have been looking at different pages. I'm looking looking at Sporting News, so if if Sporting News was incorrect, Sporting News was incorrect. But And see, the other thing to me, and I think this was the indicator early, because I feel like if this happens in a year, you kind of know where the Heisman's going. Burroughs won everything he could win as a quarterback. There wasn't even, you know, there wasn't even like throwing – uh, fields or throwing Jalen Hurts a bone on one of these uh, quarterback awards. He won the Heisman, won the Maxwell, won the Davy O'Brien. I mean, anything he could win, he won. So you kind of knew it was coming, but at the same time, I just feel like with the year he had coming off a, a transferring from a totally different program, expectations being high because they do not want to drop off at Oklahoma. They want to keep going. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm sorry if you guys don't agree, and Jay, I, I want your opinion too here, but I just kind of feel like everything you you would ask Jalen Hurts to do this year, he did. There was no drop off. If anything, that offense kind of went up another level in the what they could do out there. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you. I, I'm happy that Joe Burrow did win it. Cause I think he deserved it. But when like I was looking at the breakdown, and you were right, uh, Jalen Hurts did have the second most points. But when you go and you look at the first round. 
you get three points for every first round vote and Burrow had 841 votes. And the next closest guy was Chase Young with only 20. So like he won it by the first round alone. Oh yeah. And that's where I think I would have expected more of a diverse vote in terms of what Jalen Hurts put together, Fields and Young, even Jonathan Taylor, he only got six first round votes. So I was shocked that they didn't spread it out as much, but he was a clear favorite just from the first section of the ballot. I will say that's the other, in my opinion, the other little slap in the face is the fact that Jonathan Taylor put up numbers comparable to another running back who won the Heisman, and he wasn't. And we talked about this last week, and he wasn't even invited to New York. Like that, that to me kind of says like. Okay, so are we really just trying to say we don't want running backs? We only want quarterbacks to win the Heisman from now on. Because if so, that's fine. Invite four Heisman uh, four quarterbacks up there and just end the debate altogether. Don't give defensive players, don't give receivers and running backs a real chance. Just to say you want quarterbacks to win the Heisman, and people just know to vote for the quarterbacks. And that's Pretty one of my biggest that way. Anyway. Oh, it is. That's what I'm saying though. Is like like I said, Chase Young was amazing this year. He, he, but the problem is the Heisman goes to the all-around best player, and that's why Woodson won it, because Woodson did everything. You could have lined him up at starting receiver probably for a year, and he probably would have been one of the better receivers in the nation. He was one of the best returners. Obviously, once he got to the NFL, they realized, hey, this guy really can play corner. Let's maybe not risk him getting his butt kicked every time he's got to take a punt back. He still did it from time to time, but that's what I'm saying. I, I just think... Defensive player, unless you are a defensive player who's going to line up on offense or you're going to return stuff, defensive player, you'd literally have to break the single-season college sack record on top of being the number one tackler in the nation, and then you may have a chance. It's it, This is an offensive award. It, it is, I mean, when, what, 99.9% of the time offense wins it, it's an offensive award. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, you look back at some of the classes we had. At one point, Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, and Randy Moss were all sitting on the same uh, stage to win the Heisman together. Obviously, Woodson won it, but any one of those three were the best players in the nation at the time, but you don't see receivers win the Heisman. You don't really see, like running backs, we had a little flash in it there for a while, but not as much. Yeah, since Charles Woodson won it, only quarterbacks and running backs have won the Heisman. Yeah. There's been no diversity yeah. there. So that's why I'm saying. I was looking at that. Go ahead, Jay. I was looking at that. Too. Yeah, real quick. I was looking at that today, too. The last time as a defensive player was 97, and there's like four running backs since then as well. And everything else is a QB, which, yeah, is it a valuable position? Yeah. But, like, Jonathan Taylor went from ninth to fifth in voting, and then even in his freshman year he made the list. So he's been on it for three years in a row. He's probably the next person outside of a quarterback to get it, but I just I hate that there's not more, again, diversity in position it is. I mean, you'd almost be better off just calling this like I, I know it's the Heisman, and you got it. You can't exclude anyone, but you know that's the reason you've never seen an offensive lineman. You've never seen a you know a tight end really honestly be up for the Heisman because if that person had that big of a year, the quarterback seems to get more notice than the actual player that they protected or caught the passes for. So it is, it is becoming more of a quarterback friendly award and. I mean, when you are the guy that's leading the offense, it is kind of hard to say, well, this guy had a, a great year too. Maybe we should look at him. So I, I understand, but at the same time, you're reaching a point now where you might as well just say, hey, listen, this award's just going to be for quarterbacks, and everybody else will find something for you. So we'll see what happens. I, I, I It'll be interesting. And listen, I think when, when if if nothing else, that 
award probably just solidified Joe Burrows as the number one overall pick this year. So we'll see what happens there. Honestly, I think, I mean, I, I don't even know if you're Joe Burrows with all the, you know, the high you're riding right now, do you even question trying to do the combine or do you just let your, you know, your status go unchanged up to the draft? All you can do is really hurt yourself right now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be anywhere near it if I were him. Any of the, like, major on-field drills, what? Once a year, twice a year, we see someone get hurt. Don't be that guy. No, like, yeah, no, I, I nothing agree. to gain from it for him. And it's an interesting question, though, Russ. And uh, I was thinking about this today. I honestly, in like as far back as I can remember, like you know, football and all that, I can't remember another time where you had so many quarterbacks that, in theory, could be top twenty picks. You know, you got from Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts is kind of in the conversation right now. Uh, you obviously have Tua if Tua decides to go. You've got um, Joe Burrows. But I can't remember another time where so many quarterbacks are going into this draft absolutely needing to show out at the Heisman because I don't think any of them did that like enough to where they can be like a Joe Burrows and say, you know, I'm good. I'm just going to wait until the draft and get drafted. I think we had a couple years back. We had a real strong class, and most of them just kind of sat out, and they said, and they rested on their resume. But well, I mean, yeah, I, this one there's a lot more uncertainty. Well, I mean, I remember a couple years ago it was Wentz and uh, Goff both decided they weren't going to throw. They were just going to they were going to run because you you know you have to run, but they were going they weren't going to throw. They weren't going to do any of the on field stuff, and that was fine because they had they had gotten themselves so much further above the next guy. But at right now. Okay, Joe Burrows is one. I honestly could say that if you say that Tua, Justin Herbert, Jake Fromm, Jalen Hurts maybe, depending on how he does at the at the Combine, if you said any one of those names, I don't know that someone could look at it and go, well, why wouldn't you have taken this guy? Because every one of them are pretty much right next to each other right now, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, it's a choose-your-flavor kind yeah, of deal. Exactly. Um well, obviously we'll we'll get into the draft in a, you know, a later date because we've got a lot to talk about with it. Um Listen, I'm going to lead off this next segment with the one thing that wasn't on the rundown, but it's the one thing I think we have to talk about first. We're obviously going to recap the game and give our predictions, but I, I, I and you know what? I'm specifically asking Justin to answer this first because I think I'm going to enjoy the answer. Justin, <laughs> how did you do yesterday when you read slash heard, however you found out about it, that Martha Ford and the front office have decided that they are going to 100% stick with Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn for at least one more season. I mean, I, 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 it's not outrage. I'll put it that way. But at the same time, it's like, do they just have a license to kill? Because what they allowed the defense to do, and I remember when we had Patricia come in and we looked at the offseason and we're getting ready for the draft, I was like, all right, like defense is going to be our thing. Yeah, it was our thing. Uh, it was our worst thing. So it's just I, I put a lot of weight into that theory that they bombed the thing they were supposed to be the best at, mm-hmm. and the fact that they get brought back, maybe out of necessity, it's a license to kill. Like, it's great. So we're at the bottom. So any improvement defensively is better than this year, and they just get to, like, float around in a way. I just, I, I just don't like the standard that it sets. And when we're about to potentially have our worst defensive outing in the season ever in Lions history. So I wasn't thrilled at all. Um, and I don't like what it does for the future. Okay. All right, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to get to that. Uh, Russ, kind of the same sentiment. You see a little bit, see it a little differently. 
I was confused at the timing. Okay. Um, literally nothing to gain or lose from this. If you weren't going to fire him midseason, why are you telling us with two games left that, oh, he's going to be here, both of them? Like, oh, okay, um, who, who does that help? Who does that hurt? What, what's happening? The only thing I can think is that they see the locker room turning on him and they don't want any questions in the offseason. In which case, if you're pulling stunts like that, we might already be past the point of no return, which well, but, is scary. But and my only thought to that is, I agree with you. The locker turn, locker room turning. But my only other thought is, you've got two more weeks, and then you've got a whole off season. I feel like if anything, right. you just you buy Patricia the at least you know at least another like six months of not having to answer the question of how do you feel? Like, do you feel your job's secure right now? I mean. The, the next two weeks, that's the only question you're going to hear. If they lose the next two games, which they very well could, that's two weeks of them asking the usual, well, how do you feel Rodgers was able to do this? Or, you know, obviously the, you know, Denver defense able to do that. And it's, you know, but also you're going to get a bunch of questions of, do you feel this is a team that you're going to be with next year? And I think Ford's trying to just buy him and Quinn that ability to just be like, that question's off the table. You know he's going to be here and let's just get that out of the way now so we don't have to spend all summer asking the question of how much time does Patricia have before his, you know, you're going to yank on the chain and take him out. But say they go out next week and they just, a giant turd burger, just lay a giant turd. They lose 54 to nothing to Denver. Mm-hmm. You don't have any ammo now as the owner. Like, no matter what happens now, uh, if it's something catastrophic, if whatever happens, you've already said he's your guy. You've already tied yourself to that. So it's going to look really – it's not going to be a good look if you have to go back on that. I just don't see the benefit in saying it now when you could say it in a couple weeks. But see, see, you're the owner of the franchise. That that may not have been an actual guarantee to Patricia. That could just be a – I'm going to buy you a a couple months of not having to answer the same question – we're going to tell everybody you're going to be here, but if over the next two weeks in this offseason, assuming that she is willing to give them the offseason, I don't see some significant changes that are going to benefit us in the areas we need the benefit. I'll fire you in the middle of the in the middle of the offseason. That's fine. We can we can bump up Bevel for you know one year while we figure out what we want to do. Like it, it's not that it, all that could be is a, literally a cosmetic guarantee just to get the reporters you know, to stop asking that same question. It's not necessarily that she pulled Quinn and Patricia in and said, you're 100% guaranteed to be here next year. She may just say, I want to, I want you guys to be able to focus on football. So she could fire him. I mean, if, honestly, if you go out there and you lay two giant, giant goose eggs, then yes, I think a conversation for, you know, one of them not being here makes sense. But I've been saying it like for the last six weeks since they started really bringing up these, you know, statements. I personally think... Firing Matt Patricia, I, I won't talk on Bob Quinn because what Bob Quinn has really done for us, I, I'm not 100% sure. I, he's just tried to really bring in the Patriot way. But I will talk on what I've seen of Patricia. Bringing in a new head coach does nothing good for this team. Nothing good. Because, like I've said to you guys, all it really does for them is guarantee another two years of players getting used to the new coaching staff, getting used to the new schemes, getting trying to get in the same mindset so that everybody's on the same page. And guess what? A, a playbook for like these guys 
it, it's not some little skinny 10-page playbook. This is something that is legitimately like the size of an encyclopedia full of plays that they have to know. And it takes a little while to unforget what you already knew from the last guy. So two years of a Patricia defense, I cannot imagine that every one of these guys has it 100% fully sunk in yet. And taking it away and saying we're going to start from scratch all over again is not going to do anything. On top of the fact that I don't know how you guys feel about it. I feel like this Patricia, or I'm sorry, this Bevel offense works for this team. And unless you're going to tell whatever new coach you get, if you do decide to go that way, that, hey, you can't, you have no choice in your offensive coordinator. It's Daryl Bevel. I think you're doing nothing but hurting this team. This offense has somehow found a way to be in almost every single game throughout this season with backup quarterbacks, backup third-string running backs, receivers, again, like last year, getting changed in like crazy, not to mention the fact that they pretty much know they're always going to have to score because this defense isn't stopping anyone. It really isn't stopping anyone very often. So I just think pulling out, pulling the chain on Patricia right now does nothing. You get into next year and Patricia throws up a, you know, starts out the season two and five, two and six. Okay, now we know for sure this isn't the, you know, this isn't the guys not fully understanding everything or things not gelling. This is a coach who just is over his head. He can't. He's spread himself too thin. He's a coordinator, and that's fine. We've seen that a lot with Belichick guys because I don't think Belichick really gives up a lot of control. So I feel like Belichick says, you have one job, focus on it, and you don't really get to expand in the knowledge. I mean, Bill O'Brien's still in uh, Houston, but whether that's Bill O'Brien or that's just him finally getting some really good players that are making him look good, uh, obviously Vrabel, but over time there have been coaches that have left that franchise that – just cannot make the next step, and it's possible it could be Patricia, but I just think one more year will 100% confirm it. But listen, at the same time, I'm not saying that Patricia has to go out and go 10-6. and six. I think that's a stretch, but I think you got to stay damn near 500 in order to keep your job. I think you make a good point with Bevel, that if they were to fire Quinn or Patricia, he's gone too. And from what we saw before Stafford got hurt, there are some fireworks there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if, if they can recover just to what the defense was in Patricia's first year with what that offense looked like, this should be a team competing for the playoffs. And this if they're not, yeah, kick his ass out on the street immediately. This is a, if, you, if you give me that defense with the offense we, we've seen Bevel capable of you know, executing, this is an 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven team, which isn't great. But it at least yeah. puts you into at least puts you into a fight to maybe get to a playoff spot, you know. If not next year, the year after. But I think next year, if you really can find a way to mesh it. Listen, has this team been decimated by injuries? Yeah, this has not been a great year for us when it comes to putting the healthy product on the field. I'd argue that I don't think we've once, once seen our defensive front healthy for a game. Someone has always been out. We have like, the, all that money we went out and spent. We have not been able to put it on the field for one full game, and that's tough. You cannot sit there and build the defense, and then all the pieces don't seem to line up, or we can't get all the pieces on the board. It's just it's just how it is. So, yeah, I I, I, I guess the one thing I want to throw in there too is like I I didn't really think of it from Russ's angle about the locker room and all that because like if all of this stuff happening now in week fifteen going into sixteen is just for optics and control of the locker room. Like, we're not winning on the field when we're losing in the locker room already. And that's that's a scary thought. And mm-hmm. having the bright side 
of Bevel and what they did, I think that's some hope to it, that if they can hold on to that and we can figure out whatever the hell is happening everywhere else, it's going to help. But I just I don't find any comfort as a Lions fan knowing that we're losing literally everywhere, in the office, in the locker room, and on the field. Well, and see, and the thing is, you you also have to run the question of, okay, Bevel has figured out how to make this work. If Bevel goes out and does this, if or if even maybe a little better next year, I don't know how you, that's the one thing that worries me, is I don't know how you're going to justify Bevel sticking around. He's going to get head coaching offers. So it's one of those things where I, I, I'd rather get as much out of Bevel as we can so Stafford kind of gets that opportunity and we can build so that talent wants to come here while we have that chance. And uh, and I just don't think that they're going to fire Patricia and say, oh, hey, you want to be the head coach here, Bevel? I just don't think they would do that. I feel like it would be a clean sweep of the house, unfortunately. No, I agree with you there. So um, real quick before we recap this game, I want to ask you guys, uh, big play slay. As far as I can, as far as I've seen, is the only lion that is will be going to the Pro Bowl. Not that the Pro Bowl really means much, but uh, a little surprising to you guys that Kenny Galladay had the uh, like the full as full of a year as he could that he did, and he doesn't even get a, a nod for the Pro Bowl. Well, he does get an alternate spot, so there's something at least. Yeah, there's something. Meanwhile, half the Baltimore Ravens are playing in the Pro Bowl this year. So quite literally half, isn't no. it? Like twelve. I think that they have twelve. They have twelve. That yeah. I, like, I, I'm almost positive. Like seventy five percent of their starting offense made the Pro Bowl this year, which it should for what they did. Uh, I actually I, I saw it on Instagram and I made the comment. I'm like, too bad none of them will be playing in the Pro Bowl. So it's yeah. just it's oh, but yeah, I just. I thought it was kind of, I mean, listen, there are not very many other Lions that I think I could throw the name in the, you know, in the pot and expect it to, you know, work. But I feel like Kenny had um, a, had a pr- yeah, oh, well, that man's just, <laughs> that man's a beast as, far, as long that man can have a job as long as he wants a job. So, uh, yeah, it just, it was a little, little weird to me. I figured, you know, Kenny's had a pretty good year. I don't really know how he's not at least in, you know, at least, at least not on the, you know, Pro Bowl team. I mean, 56 catches for 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns, which is first in the NFL from what I'm seeing, and uh, 18.8 yards yards of reception, which is third. He's top 10 in three of the four categories I just read. So, And if you look at who is on there for the NFC, Mike Evans on IR now, Chris Godwin, Hurt, um, Michael Thomas, who knows, might be playing in the Super Bowl. Probably. Probably. there's three of the four wide receiver spots. I could definitely see Galladay sneaking in when we have the you know immense roster churn yeah. that comes every year. Oh, absolutely. All right, well, <clears throat> I guess we have to talk about this game. I don't really want to talk about this game because, uh, like usual, the Lions made a very much below-average quarterback look like he's a pro bowler, if you will. Uh, we lose to Tampa Bay 38-17. to Jameis Winston... 28 of 42 for 458, four touchdowns and one interception. Uh, another week, guys, where Tampa Bay didn't really run on us. They didn't really need to because they were doing it through the air the entire time. Two guys went over 100 yards, uh, both only at five receptions, so they went over 100 yards real quick. Uh, on the other side, David Blau. Listen, I- I'm going to give this guy a lot of credit. He's a guy that probably wouldn't even, probably wasn't even expecting to play at all this year. And he's kind of been thrown into the you know the fire of we're not really good right now, so make it work. 
Uh, 24 of 43, 260, no touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, Wes Hills, who I didn't even know was on this team until I turned the TV on the other day. Uh, just there. Yeah, 10 carries for 21 yards and two touchdowns. Take that as you will. Uh, Danny Amendola, eight catches for 102 yards. Other than that, not really a lot to talk about when it comes to this game. Lions got back in it for a brief moment, and then we just did the Lions thing and decided to let the other team go for it. Pick six. uh, Blau throws a pick six, and that pretty much took all the wind out of our sails, Jay. Dude, thank God he threw it because – I think it was, and we're going to earn our explicit rating here in a second, and I'm not just swearing for effect. I okay. was pissed. Okay. The Lions, it was like 14-21, and I said to myself out loud, and thankfully my children were listening, I said, they're, they're going to fuck around and win this game. Yep. I was I was dead set on them doing it, but when Sean Murphy Bunting took the pick six, and he's from Michigan apparently, which I thought was kind of cool, mm-hmm. um, I was like, I, like like, we, we lose games that we try to win, and we get close to winning. And when we need to lose, we almost try to win. <laughs> and I was pulling whatever's left of my hair out because we need to lose these games. So, I, I for being a pointless game, it was pretty entertaining on my end, even though it was misery. Yeah, no, it was um, it was entertaining for a while. Like I said, I, I turned it on. Uh, I could see pretty early on that we weren't really going to do much. Uh, interception on the first drive for... Tampa Bay, we pick them off. I'm like, oh, okay, there's their, there's their, get the fans to pay attention for a little bit play, and then of course tapered off, and then I turned it off, watched something else, flip back just to see, okay, let's see how bad this is, and like you said, Jay, it was, at least it was probably a touchdown difference, and I'm like, oh god, here we go, and then sure enough, you did, you texted that to all of us, and it was like, yeah, probably, and I, as soon as he went back, dropped back to throw that ball, I'm like. Well, this is getting intercepted. He hadn't even thrown it yet. I could just feel, okay, this is the moment. This is where the Lions are going to let us down, and obviously they did. Uh, I, I, it, it's, it's tough to even talk about. It really has reached that point where you, it's hard to find the, you know, the, the bright side of all this, Russ. But I would say it's great to see that the Lions, you know, are starting to at least hold that line of scrimmage against the run. But then you got to remember. This isn't a very good football team they just played. So it's not like we, you know, stuffed Christian McCaffrey or made, you know, held Todd Gurley to 21 yards rushing. So you find these bright sides, but then you realize that bright side is just because the team you played is also really bad at this. Yeah. uh, You make a a very good point that, hey, stopping the run there is full gold at best because, hey, Tampa sucks at running the ball and they didn't need to. Mm -hmm. Um but if we're going to find some bright spots, uh, Devin Kennard got another sack. He's got seven on the season for the second year in a row. He yep. looks like a nice find. Tavai got his first interception because Jameis going to Jameis. And outside of that, uh, we get to say Wes Hills was a former security guard for like a week before everyone gets sick of hearing about that story. <laughs> so I got, I got that, and outside of it, this is ugly. This is ugly all around. The, it's... It's tough. Struggling to not just say bad things about this because it's it's not fun when you get this late in the season and you're just dumping and, and kicking a team while they're down. But this team is objectively bad. Like there there was a not insignificant amount of time that it passed this game and they had less than ten total yards. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, no, I remember. Thankfully, Tampa Bay took their foot off the pedal and let the Lions claw back up to make that the twenty four seventeen game. But 
Oh, then they remembered, and it was David Blau concussed trying to throw to Tampa Bay there because he threw a pick, pick got dropped, threw another pick, in about a six-pass stretch. Yeah. I don't know if he had the like an intense over-under bet going on or something. Um uh, it yeah. Yeah, I, I think he was afraid that uh, if he kept doing what he was doing, the way he was playing earlier on, this team was going to expect something out of him. He's got a lower expectations. You want to <laughs> that backup quarterback? Yeah. You really want to keep expectations as low as you can. Um, no, but you you brought up a player who I, I did want to talk about real quick because we we over the last week or two, you know, I asked you guys about when it came to Hawkinson, how we felt after almost oh. a year of seeing him. Sold, not sold. But I really do want to ask because when they announced this next name, all of us kind of scratched our head of, one, who, and two, why? Like, there, there felt like there were other needs that needed to be addressed before this. But, I, I Russ, I'll, I'll let you go first because you actually mentioned him. I, I want to know, how, how do you feel about Giovanni Thalai? Like, he really actually was good. Yeah, he's he has been a rookie starting linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, he has shown flashes that at peak look better than I was expecting. He has shown some bad stuff occasionally, especially in coverage. That were the exact reasons I was scared to pick him. Um, so he, he has looked better than I expected on draft day. Yep. Uh, a little bit better than training camp, but he's very much leveled off from the beginning of the year where it's, all right, hey, this kid can play. Oh, he's a rookie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he makes rookie mistakes. So I, I'm he's not the biggest problem by far on this on this defense, but he's not going to drag him to salvation by himself. No, but at the same time, just, you know, for the fun of it, uh, he's played 14 games this year, 34 solo tackles. Uh, let me find it again. 34 solo, 21 assisted, 55 combined tackles. He's got two sacks. Uh, I believe he's only got the one interception. So that, you know, there it is. Uh, he's forced, he's forced to fumble, no recovery on it, but still 55 tackles that, uh, I mean, again, this shows the caliber of our team. That puts him as uh, fourth for uh, tackles on this team. He's fourth in tackles. So, yes, a rookie linebacker, absolutely. But at the same time, a rookie linebacker who, to me, as I watch, I feel like you give this guy more reps, this guy's not going to get worse. I feel like he's someone who's definitely going to trend in the upward direction, and it really is looking like a pick where you're like, these guys may have found something that if we can keep him here and we can keep him trending the way he looks like he's going to, we might be a you know, we might have a very nice linebacking core with a few more moves or tweaks. Yeah, it was the positive side of the questionable second round picks that brought us people such as Tease Tabor. Yeah, much yeah. better than that pick. Oh, absolutely. But Jay, uh, you know, to you, I know you're you're a little more critical when it comes to how these Lions use their draft picks and where they go. Are you a little surprised with the upside we're seeing from Tavai this quickly into his career? I'm I'm happy that it's happening. I almost would expect the upside, but for every solo tackle that's in there, I can list a couple plays where I'm like, okay, first of all, your back is facing the ball and you're not watching the field, and he was just standing there. And I get people can't be perfect. There's way too many plays where I'm watching him and he's not watching the game, and I didn't see him move or do anything. I'm like, what the fuck? So there's there's good and bad. I don't know if that is acceptable for a second-round pick, to be honest, especially with what we need. But um, like you guys are talking about, there there's some upside that there should be more good than bad going into year two with him. And you could say the same for Hawkinson, too. We need both of those guys to be ten times better than they are now. Yeah. No, I agree. 
it's it is one of those things. Um, all right, well, let's get to this. Uh, obviously, Detroit Lions, Denver Broncos this week, four o'clock game. This is a Denver team that is five and nine, uh, three and three uh, in their division. Uh, listen, Denver's a sixty-five percent favorite. The spread is seven, uh, and the over/under is thirty-eight and a half. So this one, they don't really expect as many points. Uh, Jay, I'll let you go first here. This is a Denver team that's not really that great. They're kind of middle of the pack trying to figure things out. Uh, is this a game that the Lions can maybe kind of not right the ship because we're too close to the end, but maybe start you know start building for next year? Yeah. I, out of this game, the only thing I really expect is kind of – it's funny that Russ alluded to it. Uh, Bloss throwing those two picks at the end of the fourth there, I almost want that to happen again. I want them to play – sound football for the first two quarters the third quarter maybe don't put enough people on the field and then throw picks in the fourth i i want to see a good half and i'm a very terrible half so we lose the game but there's some upside to what we do because i mean we're not starting anyone of value it's going to be depth and maybe a couple key pieces but you know as, as patricia's always working on those fundamentals i want a fundamental half and then a frustrating second half okay Sounds good. Rusty? I uh, I want them to throw to Kenny Galladay and then throw to Kenny Galladay. After that, throw to Kenny Galladay. Maybe a little bit later, a happy holiday by throwing to Kenny Galladay. That's it. That's all I want. No more of this, like, four-catch nonsense. There is, I mean, Amendola, bless his heart, is the only other threat there, and I'm using that term a little loosely. Um, but he's, he's played well. The tight ends can't play for nothing. Chris Lacey's making his first start. We're on, what, the 18th running back? Just give away to just throw to Kenny Galladay. Mm-hmm. No excuses. There's no. I don't think there's any way that this game is close unless Kenny Galladay has a monster game. Um, I don't think he does because, hey, Denver's defense knows this too. 24-13. Sorry, Lions fans. We're one step closer to a top three pick. Yeah, it's very true. Um. <clears throat> I'm only doing this because someone I work with listens to this show and he's a diehard Denver Broncos fan. Uh, So I am going to say this is where the Lions turn it around for one week. This is where the Lions look good for one week and then they'll go right back to what we expect out of them. Uh, I don't expect it to be a big win. I expect it to be a Matt Prater from 40-something yards out on the wrong hash because we weren't smart enough to save a timeout that we needed to move him over to the other hash. Uh, specific. Who oh would yeah. hurt you? And I am years and years, my friend. And uh, <laughs> I expect this to literally be Blau having to heave it to get us into that position. Maybe, too, your happy holiday, Kenny Galladay. But, um, no, I expect this to be pretty simple, pretty straightforward, something like 20 to 17. And uh, I'm going to give them the win because I've watched Denver play this year. And there there are upsides to this team, and they're looking okay, but they're still a 5-9 and nine team that, you know, is is struggling. So two struggling teams meet. Maybe this time we can be the team that actually comes away with it. Not making any guarantees and not expecting a lot, but I'm hoping. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with 2017 Lions win and uh, – Oh boy, I really, really hope that they can get something figured out in this offseason because trying to get through another, you know, 
four and eleven season that we're looking like we're going to have is not going to be fun. Not. Can I be. ask you a question about your prediction? Yes. Why? <laughs> why, 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 do you, why do you want to win? It's, no, no, listen. It, it, it's 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 as a broadcaster, it's taboo to do. You don't really want to answer a question with a question, but I'm going to. Why not? Why not? Because Give I me one third, justifiable reason. The, because because what is my game what are we doing? Week, <laughs> why, if, why? If my game of the week plays out the way that it should, the Lions will cozy themselves in the third overall draft pick. Okay, then but let me ask win, you something. We throw all that away. Let me ask you something. What, what 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 real difference do you expect to get from the third to the fifth? Like I I need to know what monumental player. You, you have scouted that is sitting there at three that won't be sitting there at five. I mean, I can't give you a name, but I would imagine the third best player in the draft is going to be better than the fifth best. I, I'd rather have a chance, even if someone wants to trade up or if we trade up a spot or two, to get the only player who should be, you know, like there's there's more possibilities from three than five. I, I understand that, but right now they, they've done predictions for us drafting at two, at three, at five. Every prediction I've seen, and if you guys have seen something different, please let me know. They have us picking the same freaking player in all three spots. They have us taking the cornerback out of Ohio State. Okay? We don't need a rookie corner starting week one on this team. We need guys that are going to be able to sub in and play marginally and learn. Okay? We've seen what happens when we throw secondary players to the fire year one. I'll give you a hint. One of those named Tease Tabor, and he's not playing because he was horrible. We like the the the, the three, the the five. It doesn't make a difference. They're gonna the same guy's gonna be there because they're. This is a Bob Quinn guy. He's not looking at the players everybody else is looking at. He's looking at the players that are gonna fit what he's trying to do. Now whether that works or not, we've had a couple players drafted this year that appear like they're gonna work. Maybe not Pro Bowl All Star, but they're gonna do their job and help us win. So. I don't see how, you know, finishing the season, you know, with one more win is really going to alter that that much. Especially since two of the uh, teams that are ever going to have the top two picks are playing each other this week. So mm-hmm. that one and two is probably not going anywhere. Hey, don't you spoil game of the week. <laughs> uh, no, but all right. So we'll see no, what we happens. No, we, we can't go any higher than three. Three is our best spot we have the odds of getting right no, now. No, I know. But I'm just saying, listen. Chase Young is going number two if he doesn't go number one, depending on depending how that works out. So if he goes at all, I think he'll go. Talking yeah, about coming back. Another issue. I think he'll go. There's too much money there for him not to go. Unfortunately, uh, that's a fair we'll point. see. We'll see. But there's too much money for him not to go. Way too much. All right. Um, <clears throat> since this will probably be our last show of the year, we we do want to do our. Uh, we've done this now. It's it's weird to say, but we've done this now for three years in a row. All I want for mm. Christmas is. Now we're not there yet, but I just I, I want to put that out there because I, uh, Jay promises to create a, con- or a conversation that we're going to really not enjoy, and I, I'm looking forward to it. But before we do that, there is something I want to I, I want to talk about real quick, and I don't know if you guys have been watching this at all, reading about it or anything, but uh, it's the hundredth year of the NFL, so they've decided they're going to put together the hundred best players to ever play the game of football, to ever strap it on, and. Over the last couple weeks, they've been announcing. They've announced the running backs. They've announced, you know, linebackers. The only ones we're really waiting on still are wide receivers and quarterbacks, the two that people want the most. But over the last couple weeks of watching it and kind of paying attention, I've noticed one little trend that it's kind of bothering me a little bit, 
and that's the fact that if you didn't start playing in the NFL, or if you played in the NFL after 2000, you have a really good chance of not being on this list. And I think it's just a little crazy because there have been so many great players. So much so that, Russ, uh, I'll let you go first here, and I wanted to ask, a little weird that um, we've seen Rob Gronkowski make the list for one of the top tight ends to ever play, yet someone like Antonio Gates isn't on this list? I, I think it's so weird. I think the question more is not does Gronk deserve to be there or not, but why the hell are both of them not on there? Yeah. Point, point to me, you know, a handful of other tight ends that aren't better than them. Um, if you want to just see peak talent, one game, assuming he's fully healthy, Gronk might be the most talented tight end we've seen in the game. Uh, if you're going to talk about career and longevity and consistency, the Gates checks all those boxes. Like, Gronk beats him in almost every efficiency metric, you know, Catch, uh, catch percentage is the only thing that they're close on. But Gates did it for longer. Gates did other parts of the game better. He stayed healthy longer. Um, mm-hmm. I looked at their averages. Gronk averaged 12.8 games per season in seasons that he played. Gates was 14.8. So you're saying you're getting two more games of Gates every single season. Is Gronk more than two games more valuable than Antonio Gates? No, of course not. No. Um, that, that's, it's crazy to have just Gronk and not Gates. I think that's a travesty. That is, you are failing in a list if you're doing the top 100 players and you pick one of them but not the other. Well, part of it also feels a little bit of like nepotism because the guy who's the deciding person on this is Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is oh, on the here, committee. Really? He's on the committee, and in the first show, they, they elected him as the first coach because they're doing coaches as well. And Bill Belichick was the oh, first coach so pick. It's a circle jerk. It, it, it feels, I mean, honestly, <laughs> there have not been that many Patriots on this list other than Gronk. And there's only been, from what I can see, a handful of guys that actually were coached by Belichick at some point, whether it was mm-hmm. with the Giants or with, you know, when he was with the Jets or whatever. But I just, listen, <clears throat> this list is great. I mean, Mike Ditka back in the, you know, the 60s and 70s was, he's the guy that made the, the, put the tight end to the next step, made it a little more okay to throw the ball there. Then you have a guy like Kellen Winslow Sr., who until, you know, until Ditka, Ditka was the best, then Kellen Winslow took it over, became the real receiver. Then you have a guy who, in my opinion, is the greatest tight end to ever play, and I don't think we'll ever see another one like him in Tony Gonzalez. That guy was a 6-4 wide receiver who just happened to play tight end and could play tight end very well. But then Antonio, Antonio Gates came along and matched Gonzalez in what he could do. He was that competitive. So for you to tell me that Rob Gronkowski is on this list. Gronk was a great talent. He really was. But Gronk played football for seven, eight years. Probably didn't add up to even six years of actual playing. But And you tell me Tony Gon- or, you know, Antonio Gates isn't on this list. I just find it a little weird and kind of odd. But that is the thing I wanted to point about this list is half these guys' pictures are in black and white because they haven't played football since the color photo was created. Now, were they great at their time? Absolutely, probably, but you have to factor in the the fact that some of the best players to ever play are playing now. Like, you you put together this corner list. Okay, Deion Sanders being on there. I'll give you that. 
I'll give you that. There, there's no way around it. Rod Woodson was amazing when he played. No Champ Bailey. No Darrell Rivas. No guys who legitimately were shut down corners like the two I just mentioned. And they're both retired. They've both been, you know, they both are going to, if they don't have gold jackets yet, I believe Champ Bailey does, they're getting gold jackets. No Michael Strahan for defensive ends. Guy's one of the best to do it for over the last 30 years. I mean, and then the fact that this is the one that I found weirdest, and this is the one that I actually wanted to bring up. The Of the running backs, they got a lot of great running backs. Obviously, Barry's on there, Walter Payton, Jim Brown. The last guy on this list that actually played running back in the league hasn't played in 15 years, and that's Emmett Smith. There was no AP. There was no Ladanian Tomlinson. There were no. There was what? no. Yeah, no. No Jerome Bettis. The running backs are Jim Brown, Earl Campbell, who played from seventy-eight to eighty-five, uh, a guy who played in for seven years in the thirties, Eric Dickerson, Lenny Moore, who played in the fifties, uh, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, Gail Sayers, O.J. Simpson, Emmett Smith, and then Steve Van Buren, who played back in the forties and fifties. Not. No, no Ladanian Tomlinson, who has the record for most rushing touchdowns in a season and was arguably the best running back for 20 years when he was in San Diego. You know, AP, I get AP was a flash for a while there, but he still has maintained being that good. Frank Gore played for forever, but you know what? He's still second all time in rushing yards. That has to stand for something. There are, there are guys that played in this league that I don't understand how you do not have them on this list but you have guys that played in the 30s and 40s who probably are backup running backs on any team right now, if even that. The game has changed. You have to change with the game. Yeah, I, I think something being drastically overlooked is just in the way that human athletics work, every like 15 years, everyone playing is more talented than 90% of the people that have ever played the sport prior. Mm-hmm. Like, agree. you just yeah, get faster, bigger, stronger, like, compared to your peers, right? Like, some of these guys might still stand out at a gap that we don't see now. It is incomparable because they were that special at the time. But you look at the guys that played in the 50s, yeah, that guy might not even be a practice squad player now. you probably get laughed off the field in college. That's how much stronger and bigger and faster everyone is. It is insane to think that all of the 100 best players ever play – um, are all retired and gone now. That, that's that's a weird, weird old man bias. I mean, Jay, uh, are we, am I wrong for thinking this? No, no. I mean, to, to kind of hit on both points, I fully agree with you about, you know, how about put some more current players in there and rust dovetailing that with, hey, athletics change too. Those are very valid points. And even your points on the Gronk and Gates, uh, one thing I do want to circle back on that real quick is it's funny how much Russ and I are like in lockstep of thought today because I actually counted those games. Gates only missed 24 and Gronk missed 29. And Gates has them almost doubled in receptions and targets. So the fact that it sounds like they're like, hey, we can pick one, they chose the wrong one. And now you telling me about all the other parts of team photos that are in black and white and not changing with like the style of game. Like, what is the point of this list exactly? Like, did you have to be drunk to be on the committee to make these selections? Because I'm only hearing a lot of bad things about it so far. Well, it's just, it really does seem like it's someone who, the guy who's making these decisions grew up on the game and just kind of, 
You know, he he's not really looking into the modern era. I mean, uh, I, they they shorten this down, but uh, they put all these you know the names of guys that are in consideration to be wide receiver and. Obviously, not a lot of names we're going to know. Chris Carter, Larry Fitzgerald, Marvin Harrison, uh, Michael Irving, Calvin, Steve Largent, uh, Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, Jerry Rice, John Stallworth. But the thing was, I, I've seen the the shortened list, like the guys who are actually the finalists to be considered. And uh, I'll just say right now, Calvin's not on it. Calvin didn't uh, make the final list. Uh, all these old dudes... Screwing up everything for it. Oh. oh, is this it? Uh, no, that's not. I I saw it somewhere. I'm, I don't remember where I saw it, but it's just it, it's that fact. Listen, did Calvin retire early? Yeah, but did Calvin do things in this game that we haven't seen in a long time for what he was? Yes, and the fact that you're like, and I guess I get we're a little biased because we're Lions fans, but at the same time, if you start naming the guys that are you know, the best wide receivers in the league over over our careers. Calvin comes into that conversation at some point. Maybe not in the top two or three, but Calvin comes into that conversation at some point. Yeah, have to. So it's it's I think that's the that's what I'm saying is this, this is a great list. There are you you're really covering some great, you know, players. But at some point you have to understand that like there are guys playing right now or that just recently finished playing that were game changers in their time and to take them off that list. It, it, it just seems a little weird. I, I are all these guys great. Yeah. They're all hall of famers. They're, they're all fantastic. I think there's only one guy on this whole list that isn't in a hall in the hall of fame. And that's just because he was a, uh, he was a return specialist with uh, Devin Hester. And then the other guy was Billy Johnson uh, for the Oilers back in the day. So these guys were all great, but, you have to adapt with the game, and unfortunately, you're you're leaving quite a few big name players off this list. So, all right, well, it's that time. It's that time of year, and we're we're probably not going to get another show in, so we might as well do our Christmas wishes. Russ, I, I I'm gonna let Jay go first. Uh, I don't want to save the best for last. I want to open this present, and I just want to see what Jay has in store. So, Jay, I set it up the same way every year. I'm going to set it up again. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is I want first round draft capital for our Detroit Red Wings. And the reason why, and that's an obvious pick, but the reason why is even if we tank, we only have an 18% chance to get the first overall pick, which those are decent odds. I would take it. Um, I want them to mitigate the risk that we don't get it. And if it also means that I have to part with one of the three players I'm about to mention, I'm willing to do it. So it's a first-round capital uh, and a draft pick, but I wouldn't mind getting a first-round pick if it means we get rid of Mantha or Double A or Bertuzzi because all three of them are up for a contract renewal, and I wouldn't mind shipping them out now so they can re-sign somewhere else and we get someone's first-round draft pick to mitigate the risk of not having the first overall pick and – it gives Steve Eisenman a good amount to pull from in next year's draft. So that's the only thing I want right now for Christmas. You deserve coal in your stocking. I hope you know that. Um, <laughs> I know it's not popular. No, no, no. Listen, listen, listen. Tired figgy pudding. Listen, listen, listen. Of the names you mentioned, I will, uh, 
Got to turn that down a little bit. That's loud. Um, of the names you mentioned, I will say that I agree with one, maybe two. If you told me that we were going to increase in you know, draft status and we were going to get that better opportunity, I would hand you the contract and the rights to Anthony see you right now. Wouldn't think twice about it. Mantha obviously has leveled off since his hot start at the beginning of the year, but there's still potential there, and I still see the ability. Bertuzzi, to me, is a guy that I think you have to put on the he needs to stay here. I, I like him. He's a guy that I will actually turn the game on to watch and see what he can do. And I just think there are those players. I've said it before. I, I you know, stats is Russ's thing. I'm the eye. Te- I'm the, uh, that eye test kind of person. I want to see what you do. There are those are measurables that don't necessarily show up on a stat sheet, and I see those with Bertuzzi. So I think if anything, you're taking away one thing that's helpful to get something else that's helpful, and the first thing is a guarantee going to be helpful. The other one, there's a chance they're going to be helpful. I get when you have a higher, higher pick. The odds improve on that person really being a great player for you. But, again, one of these things is guaranteed going to help us in some way out on that on that ice. The other one, we don't know when and we don't know how much they're going to help. So, Anthony CU, yes, I'll take that risk. Mantha, questionable, but I, I don't think I would, you know, die by it. Bertuzzi, a guy I think needs to have a contract here and needs to stay here. He does things that are immeasurable and they mean something to this team. Is this the part where I talk, or does Justin want to defend himself for a second? No, I want I want you to go, Russ. I want to hear what both of you had to say between the three. Okay, so to kind of touch on what Eric said, I think Bertuzzi has more value here than anywhere else. Yeah. I, I just don't think you're going to get the draft capital that you're looking for for him. <laughs> he fits a role. Some of his play is chemistry-based, that he just he forechecks really well with Larkin, and they do that incredibly well. I don't know that he replicates that somewhere else. He's not, I don't think he's a true top line talent player on his own. Um, well, and see, that's the thing you, that's the thing you said, but I didn't say, and that's that the name doesn't get as much in return, but I also think the value on the ice does get as much for us, but the name mm-hmm. isn't Anthony CEO. It isn't Mantha. So therefore the return isn't going to be what we're looking for to lose. Right. Yeah. He, I mean, he's, playing well he is playing top line quality not top player not he's not the one driving play but he's getting no. it right and i don't know that you're going to convince another team mm-hmm. to do that um mantha i'll slap you in the face you say we're going to trade him again <laughs> that's all i want from Christmas all of a sudden. <laughs> there is so many correct answers um on this team in this franchise pipeline he is one of them if we forego almost every other RFA this year, except for Manta, I'm fine with that. You can let so many of them go. you got to keep him. He is, before he got hurt, he was playing at a level where he was producing as one of the top five wingers in the league. You don't, you don't throw that away, especially when he's on the end of his deal. So we saw what happened with Taylor Hall. If an extension's not coming with that trade, you're not getting the return that former Hart Trophy winner Taylor Hall got, and mm-hmm. that was a first and a very conditional third-round pick that could become a first if, oh, he resigns. So, hey, there's that one. Yep. And Arizona wins a playoff round. So you'll be, you'll be lucky if you get a first and some, I don't know, chump change for Mantha. 
if a team gets the warm fuzzies out, they're going to re-sign them. Mm-hmm. Um, Athens-CU, I think you're on to something. The way they've been constructing these lines, it, it hurts me because I like the way he plays. I think he's an ex- he's an explosive talent that you can exploit offensively to create some fast offense. And for some reason, Blashill wants to mitigate his weaknesses instead of embracing his strengths, and it's neutering him. Um, but if mm-hmm. he's not going to fit in with what the team wants to do, a 30-goal scorer, you got a shot there. If he's going to be third line, yeah, go get your first-round pick for him. That makes more sense, and it frees up cap to sign some of these other RFAs like Fabry and Manta. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I, I get it. And from a pure player capital standpoint, it does make sense to try and deal AA. Okay, Jay, that those are our opinions. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy I brought that up because you guys both kind of touched on a lot of good things around all three of them. Um, just my personal take real quick, and we'll move on to someone else's Christmas list. Mm-hmm. Um, if Bert got me a one, I love the chemistry he brings. He's like the applicator we never got after applicator made money. I'd still deal him if it gets me a one. Um, between Mantha and AA, I hear what you're saying about both of them. I would rather – I mean, AA probably deserves to be in a system that – favors his skill he can't just be like the guy or a part of the core um so i probably would hold on to mantha and let aa go because you will get value for a team that's already established themselves but yeah i, I see, hope i get what i want for christmas damn it it'd be nice i see bird is more this is weird and this is a weird way to look at it and this just might be me skipping a generation of hockey and going back to us growing up i see bird as more of a non-fighting more hockey talented McCarty, he's an energy guy that gets everybody else up and going kind of thing. That's how I see him when I watch him play, and that's why I like that. It, it, it speaks back to you. not everyone has to be some going to make everybody miss goal score. It'd be nice if they were, but you need these guys, these energy guys that you know get everybody else going, understand their role, and want to set the guys that can do that up to be successful, and that's how I see him. Plus, I also don't ever want to think about advocator if I don't have to. So. <laughs> Well, remember when McCarty would occasionally play up on Iserman's line? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, though. That's why I see him, because I don't see him, you know, he's not the, I'm going to drop the gloves every time you touch one of my guys. He's he's not afraid to get scrappy, but I also see a little more hockey talent in him than you'd maybe say Darren McCarty had. So, mm-hmm. obviously, McCarty with that amazing once-in-a-lifetime goal for the Stanley Cup, but outside of that, he really wasn't known for that skill set. Um, okay, moving on. Over to you, Russ. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is? To stop taking any ideas associated with 70-plus-year-old dudes. We kind of touched on it with the NFL 100 list. Mm-hmm. But Paul Pasqualoni, get out of here. He's uh, 70. Okay. See you later. Old ideas busted. Uh, let's bring in something new. The woo happening at Little Caesars right now? Ric Flair's also 70. Knock it off. That has nothing to do with what we're trying to do here. Dump, yeah, dump it, Chase. Establish the run. Building around two bigs who are no threat from three. Another old man idea. Stop it. Let's try some new things. That's all I want for Christmas is a new, fresh, innovative idea. Guess what? Everything sucks right now in Detroit sports anyways, except for the future. So let's try some fun stuff. Give me a reason to watch. Try and be new. John Harbaugh has Lamar Jackson playing like he is because he said, you know what, we're going to build a team different. Mm-hmm. He's not a normal quarterback. We're not going to treat him like a normal quarterback. We're going to do stuff different. Oh, 12 Pro Bowlers, right, lighting the league on fire. 
do something different. Stop listening to the old guy that, oh, this is what we've always done. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I'm done with old dudes, basically. You, you know, Jay, I, I, I'm going to go real quick because I, I don't have a lot to disagree with on this. I kind of agree that Pasqualoni needs to go. Uh, we need new, we need innovative in this town, and uh, I kind of agree with Russ. That would be an amazing thing to get this year. I I can't I can't disagree with it. I mean, we need young men, so we might as well make Glenn Denning the head coach and uh, the Red Wings, <laughs> and we'll be we'll be walking through those steps that you so desperately want, my friend. All right, all right. I see where it's going. All right. Um, see, I agree though, one hundred percent. All no, jokes aside, I really do. I, um, I'm right there well with played. you. Um, and actually, this is another case where I need to stop letting Russ go before me, because while we didn't have oh, this, no. no, we didn't have the same wish. Our wish is not that far off in looking for the change. So, mine is a big wish because we all know who's running the show in these on these teams. So please. I'm asking for a lot here, and I'm hoping maybe you guys will be willing to sacrifice maybe one of your presents for me, but make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is one freaking year where all four drafts, the teams address the needs we actually need. I don't need a Ferrari. Get me the freaking old rusty truck that's going to help carry this team where it needs to go. Make sensible moves that afterwards I can look at and go, you know what? I like that pick. We haven't had that in a long time here in Detroit. Save a couple. I want four first-round draft selections from those these four teams where all four of them I can look and go, yeah, they actually did what they needed to do. They addressed a need for this team that immediately is going to make us better in some way. Russ, that's what I want for Christmas. What you're saying is you don't want to be miserable at the draft. Yes, that would be a lovely thing. I would love to say that I watched four drafts this year. Obviously, I'm not going to watch the baseball draft, but I'll read about it. But I would like to say I watched four drafts this year, and after every one of those first-round picks from us, I can look and go, I like it. I like it. Because it's too many years of them drafting someone and me having to go, what were you thinking? And me have to spend all off-season leading into the year watching this person with a fine-tooth comb to go, okay, I get it, or, man, you really blew that one. I want four picks where I can say I like it and I'm comfortable. I'm into that because there's a really good chance that three of those first-round picks are in the top three. Yeah, no, so, definitely. So they better, or we're going to be only getting worse here. <laughs> Jay, that's what I want for Christmas, man. I hope it's okay with you. It, it's perfectly fine because before I was focusing on my Red Wing thing, I was thinking that I also would like to have, like, the guy or the player for a team in our city. So if we're getting decent first-round picks, we might get that. We might have that guy to clamor on to that's the new hotness in our city, and we need it, like you said. Again, though, like I said, this is this. we know who are manning the ships for these teams. So it's a lot, it's a lot to ask. It really is, but who knows? Blind Squirrel finds it every once in a while. Maybe these four GMs and front offices will too. Uh, you never know. Um, all right, well, yeah, I hope. So that's what we want for Christmas. Obviously, uh, we won't really know if we're going to get our presents uh, on the 25th. We'll probably have to wait a year till this time because if we're all asking for the same thing a year from now, it means we didn't get what we wanted, and that's unfortunate. Um, last bit of the segment. We didn't get to do this last week, and uh, it's one of the segments I enjoy doing. It's kind of cool to see how – 
everybody sees sports differently. So uh, to wrap up the show, we're going to do our plays of the week and game of the week for the NFL. And, uh, Jay, I'm going to let you uh, go first again here. Give me your uh, play of the week and your game of the week. Play of the week, um, I'm going back to the defensive side of the ball, which I always pick or try to always pick. Yep. Tyron Matthew, literally in the air, like the the last seconds of that play, he's able to get his hand up. And even when they're almost like laying on the ground, he swats the ball out of the defender's hand so he can't complete the process. It was, it was, it was just gorgeous. And then to back it up, he takes it to Twitter and is just retweeting and going off on people like, yeah, I'm bad. I'm a bad man. I know how to play this game. <laughs> you can't knock a guy who has the proof to be able to open his mouth and run it. And I just, I, I, I love putting those two things together, and it's my play of the week. All right, here's Jay's play of the week. Sounded a little something like this. 18-yard line. Freeman lined up in the backfield. Locke will look. End zone. Jump ball opportunity. Knocked away at the last moment. Sutton had it on his hands. Great play. Jay, you really do like to go on the defensive side. I will say that. It's kind of it's a different take. We don't get them as often. Uh, all right, so there's your play of the week. Uh, what's your game of the week? Game of the week, and we probably won't get it here locally, but Sunday, 1 o'clock, both teams collectively have 24 losses on the year. And, oh, yes, I'm talking about the Dolphins and the Bengals. There you go. Um, it's a negative one spread, so it's basically a pick but I need Fitzmagic and Devontae Parker to go ham. I want the Lions to get that third pick, and as long as we lose, and uh, I believe the Dolphins win, uh, that will come true. So I'll be watching that dreadful game. That will be a dreadful, dreadful game, my friend, and uh, that's unfortunate that you're going to spend your time watching that one. Uh, Russ, Russ, over to you now. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and give me that uh, game of the week and then your uh, play of the week. Yeah, I'll start with game of the week because let's talk about a game that people want to actually watch. Yeah. Like... (laughs) The only reason to watch a game down in Florida is to, I don't know, wait for your prescription while you're at the pharmacy. (laughs) That's about all you do down there. Um, My game of the week, um, so it's obviously the uh, New York Giants against Washington, right? No, no, no. no. Sorry. Different NFC East matchup, one that we actually care about. Cowboys-Eagles in Philly, essentially for the division. Winner more or less locks up a playoff spot here, both 7-7. and Um, let's actually watch a game with something on the line. I'm excited for it. No, that'll be a good game. That really will be. Especially a game where if you can get to seven wins, you automatically win the division. So it's it's, <laughs> it's crazy. Bad. It's very bad. But, yeah, I think every other NFC division leader has at least ten wins already. Yeah. So not looking great over there. No, not but, at all. Uh, yeah. Mm. But one of them will have to make it in, and we there's a really good chance we find out who it is this Sunday. Oh, absolutely. Um, my play of the week, um, absolutely filthy, is Austin Matthews undressing half of the Buffalo Sabres on the ice <laughs> at the time, including two different guys trying to play goalie. I don't know how the one guy got back there. He, he didn't do enough. But Austin Matthews toe drags around a defender, goes to the backhand, flips it over two shoulders. Um, just absolutely filthy. One of the best goal scorers in the league. And uh, it, it makes it all a little bit better that Babcock's gone and he's thriving. Oh, absolutely. And uh, here it is, Austin Matthews with that backhand, though. And that allows the Leafs to come out. Here's Nylander, crisscrossing with Kapanen. Nylander drops it off. Matthews, nice move. Backhand shot, he scores! A spectacular goal! Second of the game for Matthews! No, yeah, as soon as you texted me that to, to watch, I was like, oh, God, I lost. 
doesn't matter what I come up with. I lost. That you just when Austin Matthews has the puck, you know something good is going to happen. And that was one heck of a goal. It really was. Quick, quick, quick question on that play though. Finish. Yeah. <laughs> quick question on that. Did he do that whole like wave your stick above the puck and like try to confuse people on the back end of that deep too? I don't uh, know. No, he was handling. The stick was always on the puck. Okay. But there was a couple. I, I could have sworn there's a part he was floating on it. <laughs> Maybe. No, he just that smooth. Yeah, the magic man over there. Um. <laughs> um. All right. So on to me, and I, I too am going to lead off with my game of the week for the fact that I want to say it real quick because I'm afraid one of you is going to change your mind. I really did not think this game was going to clear the uh, clear the field here. I really thought someone was going to pick it up on. And the reason I'm, I want this game is because. Over the last 20 years, Tom Brady has pretty much just been able to coast through the regular season. It doesn't get challenging for him, if it does ever get challenging for him, till the playoffs. His division has usually been a pretty big joke. Um, but not this year. This year, this weekend at 4.30, I get, we get to see Tom Brady face off against a Buffalo Bills team that is only one game behind them in the overall standings, and is, if I'm not mistaken, one game up on them in the division, 6-1 and one to 5-1. and one. This is, to me, going to be a great game because on my wildest dreams, I never thought I would see a division team actually be potentially challenging to Tom Brady more than once a year, and this Buffalo team has a chance to do it. Uh, Allen has become a heck of a quarterback, throwing 18 TDs to 9 interceptions, Brady, not necessarily having the destroy them year, but still 21 touchdowns, seven interceptions. I just think this is going to be a fun game to watch and could actually be a little bit kind of a passing of the, is Buffalo going to be the team in the AFC now once Brady's kind of done? So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think it's going to be one heck of a game. And then uh, for my play of the week, listen, you guys' plays were great. Uh, They're going to be tough to beat. But if anyone's going to beat them, I think it's going to be a play where a guy does something that literally no one else in the history of the game has ever done. And that's Drew Brees breaking the all-time touchdown passing touchdown record with New Orleans Saints. Listen, when we started this show, I, I'm pretty sure early on I, I made a bold statement of that Drew Brees, when he finishes it, might potentially be someone that you have to actually talk about as being a top three all-time quarterback. Now, has he officially done that? That remains to be seen. He's still going. But if you ask me, he has done everything he can do to put his name in that conversation, and I think it's very, very hard to keep him out. When it's all said and done, he's probably going to hold all the records there are to hold. And uh, he did it a little bit like this the other night. 19 straight completions now for Drew Brees that ties his career high in a game. But I think he's searching for another mighty mark. Will he get it here? Yes! Touchdown pass, 5-4-0 in the 5-0-4. So, yeah, great play by Drew Brees. It was uh, awesome to see. I honestly thought Peyton was going to hold on to those records for a long time. And turns out he only got them for a brief moment because Drew's just taking them all every chance he gets. So much so that Peyton actually recorded a congratulation video congratulating him for all the records. Because eventually he was going to break them. 
So it was kind of fun to see. Just, wow. While he was in the studio with all those commercials. Yeah. Let's, let's knock them all out. He just rattled them all. Oh, oh he's, he's the only, but I still have the touchdown record. He's on pace to break that. All right, well, then let this serve as that one, too, because I don't have time for this. Just absolutely great. <laughs> Loved it. Awesome. Um, But officially, we got through it all. We are actually out of time. Um, And I want to thank you both for being on here. Always fun. Uh, going to take a little break till after the holidays, but going to see you guys here in a day or two. So I'm sure it'll be nothing but us talking about this stuff more and more. Our wives are probably getting sick of us doing nothing but talking sports. But, hey, I don't really give a care. So, uh, Jay, always appreciate it, buddy. You go out and uh, I know you got a little Christmas tree problem. Hopefully you get that figured out, buddy. Yeah, I'm going to go get real, real festive real quick, which is a change of pace. So I'm, I'm happy to be here to bring some negativity, potentially some truth. But uh, happy holidays to everyone who is listening. Absolutely. And uh, Statman Russ Ivanak, you, uh, my, my gift I'm expecting from you this year is to just get a little bit smarter with all these numbers you put in. Eventually, one of them is going to stick in my head, and I'm going to hold on to it for more than the length of a show. Yeah, well, if you listened, it might help. You know, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Russ, <laughs> no. Russ, did you want to say something? Sorry, I, I, I didn't. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? Yeah, well, touche. Well <laughs> <laughs> Happy holidays to you guys. It's uh wouldn't rather do it with anyone else other than you guys. It's, it's been fun. Can't believe this is our third Christmas. That's crazy. Third Christmas now. And, uh, no, absolutely. Happy holidays to you guys. Uh, this is this has been awesome. It's a dream come true. Like I said, a couple years ago, proposed to do this show, thinking it would maybe be a quick little thing, and it's turned into something real big. Uh, we don't go a day without talking about it in some way, and uh, it's awesome, man. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. Happy holidays to everybody listening. Wish you the best, and uh, we'll be back after the first of the year. As always, I'm your host, Eric Dorsch. That's one small step for us, one giant leap back in Detroit sports broadcasting. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul.